This week, I don't have much of a voice, but that's okay. There are plenty of others who can do the talking for me, including the Prince of Wales. The departure of as I understand only too well how important these sorts of livestock markets are. He was very engaged about the future of farming and the issues around farming. Uh, well, the Prince was uh, very interested and concerned in, uh, in what had happened here with the Louth cattle market. We really hope this is the beginning of a secure and uh, vibrant future for the market. More on Prince Charles' visit to Louth livestock market in a moment. Also, with a year to go to our official withdrawal from the EU, give or take a transitional period, we'll hear from one of the chief Brexiteers. Brexit is not about shutting the, dra- shutting the draw. Brexit, Brexit it's not about sending, telling people to, to go away. Brexit is about being open to the world. It's actually opening Britain up to being a global country again and trading with the rest of the world more freely. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Last Monday, when my voice was even worse, believe it or not, Prince Charles visited Louth Livestock Market, giving it his seal of approval. You might remember we discussed the market a number of times last year with the council considering possibly moving it, closing it completely or keeping it and doing it up. The latter won through after much debate, debate it's now been revealed, that included His Royal Highness himself, hence the visit. He was also launching Louth as the new location for his farm resilience programme, part of the Countryside Fund, aimed at helping small family farms. It'll start in September. We'll have more information as to uh, how your farm could get involved nearer the time. First, let's hear from the Prince himself, speaking in the ring at the market last month. Before I go, I'm slightly anxious in case I sell something by mistake. <laughs> but uh, very quickly, I just wanted to say that I'm thrilled, apart from having the opportunity of coming to love visiting the Vermont uh, here. I just want to say I was thrilled that it's been possible to save this, this particular and vital part of the, of the, of the rural community's uh, business world because the fact that my countryside fund was able to assist a little bit in this, uh, in this campaign uh, has given me enormous uh, but the fact that it's made such a difference in helping to keep all this going is, I think, a great thing. Because apart from anything else, I understand only too well how important these sorts of livestock markets are to helping to maintain the rural community, the farming community, and and the whole life of an important part of the world like this. So um, I do hope that the that the livestock market now has a durable and sustainable future. And I've much enjoyed having a chance this morning of meeting some of you, hearing something about the fact that Lincoln Reds are beginning to make a real revival, not just here, but in other parts of the country. Uh, And the fact that, from what I gather, the prices at the moment haven't been too bad. So at least that's something. I hope we can make the most of that. I understand how difficult it can be most of the time with the challenges facing the farming community. But I hope that with all the marvellous people who are involved in, in assisting in various ways, and with a little bit of help, I hope, from my countryside fund, that will also help a little bit to enable more farmers to cope with all these challenges in the future. 
Prince Charles addressing those at the market on Monday. Well, during his visits, he met with agricultural chaplain Alan Robson and the team at the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. He was very um, engaged about the future of farming and the issues around farming and uh, hoping that uh, our organisation can work with the Countryside Fund to deliver the resilience um, programme uh, in and around Louth. And so we're, we're exploring that and see what we can do. Uh, but he was absolutely uh, on form with you know, what the issues are and what not just the business side of the um, farming enterprise, but the mental health and well-being of farmers generally. He did seem to take a great interest in what you do at the LRSN, didn't he? Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, he was very well clued up about what we do and uh, and the agricultural chaplaincy side of the work as well and um, yes he somehow knew uh, what the chaplaincy had done to form the LRSN and to make it work. And of course being here in Louth you know last year we thought this place might not be here much longer so so to have Prince Charles actually coming here giving it his seal of approval is very important as well isn't it? Yes he made an excellent speech in the storing about how it's not just selling cattle it's about a, a cultural wider community benefit for the whole town. Alan Robson there. Andrew Wilson of the NFU also met His Royal Highness. Uh, well, the Prince was uh, very interested and concerned in, uh, in what had happened here with the Louth cattle market and saw the importance of keeping a, a cattle market in, uh, in the county would have been the last remaining one. Um, he seemed very, uh, very well uh, researched on the, uh, on the plight that we'd had here with the market and was very pleased to see that the local community had supported it and enabled us to, to have this feature here. So, uh, no, it was a great pleasure to meet him today and um, it was also fantastic that he came up here to support the, the cause and uh, I was unaware of uh, how long it had been on his radar. Good, yeah, I mean, for, for the Prince to actually come here and to, to see Louth cattle market, that sends an important message, doesn't it? Well, it does, yeah. I mean, he is a farming man, um, he has livestock, and uh, and he clearly picked up this story, um, you know, quite a long time ago. So um, he was aware of it, and he was clearly very pleased to see that it was here, and also that it had the security um, to move forwards, which is something we've all got to work together as a community to make sure that it is a success going forwards. Well, the auctioneers gave Prince Charles a gift during his visit. We'll hear from one of the team in a moment, but first, that gift. I would like to take this opportunity to thank you by giving you a gift, which includes um, meat of uh, local origin, um, hazelnuts, Lincolnshire sausages, stuffed chine, and there's also some uh, mutton in there, as we understand you're, uh, you're a fan of mutton. I'm uh, Simon Williams, I'm a partner in, La- in Louth Laughter Auctioneers. We've had a tumultuous 12 months or so. We uh, were faced with... Um, ik- 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 being extinguished, uh, using their their words, not ours, uh, back in the summer. Um, the community rallied round. We we spearheaded a campaign to raise awareness, wrote to Clarence House uh, and others. Uh, Clarence House wrote back and said, you know, good luck with it all. We'll keep a monitor on it. We updated them when the campaign was effectively won. And to get a, get a phone call out of the blue six weeks ago from Clarence House is quite, you know, mind-blowing, really. You have to keep stumped for for a month and then they let you tell people after a couple of couple of weeks uh, in so it's been amazing it's been a been a, a, a whirlwind really to have him here has been amazing uh, he really does understand the rural community he's a champion of rural issues and he spoke very warmly 
in the ring there, and that just sums up really why he came because he is a, um, you know, he, he is the man who we look to to champion our role issues. As you say, from writing that letter, I bet you couldn't have believed he would actually, <laughs> few, within a year, be here. Absolutely right. I mean, our office manager, Rebecca, who's really put loads of work in, she said to me, is HRH too high up? I said, absolutely not. We'll get him on the list. And so, you know, and he's just repaid that sort of loyalty back in bucket loads and we're delighted to have him here. Couldn't be better. And a lot of support here, a lot of people here as well to see the Prince, but also showing support for the market. Yes, I mean, he's met uh, members of the Lincoln Cattle Society, um, Lincolnshire Royal Support Network, um, West Point vets who are, who are specialist farm vets. He's met auctioneers, market staff, a really important day for them. They're the ones that put the hard work in. Um, 200 or so farmers, users of the market. We've had a breakfast, we're going for lunch. It's a real gathering and um, we really hope this is the beginning of a secure and uh, vibrant future for the market. That's it. Compared to where we were this time last year, things are certainly looking brighter, aren't they? Oh, very much so. And I think I think hats off to the to the key members of the council because they have under, they've seen it. And I think, uh, understandably, perhaps they didn't under you know they didn't really value the site. They saw it as a ten million pound um, supermarket. Now they understand what it's about and I don't think they'll ever turn the clock back now frankly I think the corner's been turned and today can only you know can only help uh, not only help it is the beginning of the future and um, for that I'm immensely grateful that's Simon Williams partner at Louth Livestock Auctioneers following that visit by Prince Charles on Monday well as you know our agronomist Sean Sparling has been a supporter of Louth as well I guess you welcome the fact it's now the location for the Farm Resilience Programme as well Sean Yes, good morning, Sean. Oh, it's a wonderful initiative that Lincolnshire farmers, Lincolnshire livestock, Lincolnshire market are being recognised by people like Prince Charles and being put into part of this initiative is, is a wonderful testament to the hard work and dedication and reputation of Lincolnshire's livestock farmers and Lincolnshire's farmers in general. We play a massive part in the UK economy and the rural economy and without us, they're in a mess. And I think that's all been recognised here. So congratulations to every farmer. And I'm proud to be part of Lincolnshire's farming. Um, always have been. So let's just move into agronomy. There's quite a lot going on at the moment. We have the beast from the east. It looks like the pest from the west is the next thing. Because it, the wind has switched from the east to the west. It's going to bring in Atlantic weather systems, I think. But at the moment, those systems are bringing in warm, settled, windy weather. And what that's doing is it's drying out the land. And it won't take long for us to to be able to get in there and do some work. In fact, there are several uh, people out last week, Thursday, Friday, top dressing all seed rate, and not really making much of a mess at all, which is fantastic. We really needed to be out there with that nitrogen and sulphur because the growth has very clearly started. Um, Wednesday, Thursday last week, we got one day of sunshine. On the Wednesday, by Thursday, the crops were looking a different colour altogether, and they're going to move now because days are getting longer, the sun is at a different angle in the sky, it's going to warm these soils far quicker they're going to mineralize they're going to release nitrogen and away they're going to go because they've been sitting here for four or five months waiting for this opportunity 
And that means things are going to happen quickly. All seed rapes are going to go through those growth stages very quickly. Two things here. Remember, if you're putting a herbicide like Galera, which is clopyrrolid and picloram, or straight clopyrrolid on a shield to control mayweeds, thistles, groundsel, poppies, that sort of thing out there, you need to make sure you're within the growth stage tolerances. So once the buds start to extend up the canopy, you are too late. Make sure you're OK for that, particularly with Galera, because you'll get more crop damage, um, aborted buds, distorted pods uh, later on in the season if you get that wrong. Um, and remember, the Picloram part does need a bit of warm weather. It needs soil temperatures around 7 or 8 degrees C. Currently, they're around about 4.5 to 5. Um, it needs seven or eight in order for it to work and the cleavers that it is main target for um, the picloram they need to be actively growing at the moment they're laid blue in the bottom of the crop so they're not growing so whether you'll get a benefit from that or not is up for discussion really but make sure you get it on before the crop stage is too late um, also light leaf spot is going absolutely crackers at the moment it's starting to cycle in these crops now i sent some samples off four weeks ago to the, the uh, spot check initiative and that came back at less than two percent uh, light leaf spot infection less than two percent of the leaves affected i sent another sample off last week from the same field and it's up to 48 percent Disease, <laughs> disease level. Now that means that this, the light leaf spot is starting to move in these crops. We only have protection against light leaf spot. We can only protect the newer growth which is not infected from infection from those infected leaves. You can only do that. So my advice to you is for goodness sake prioritise disease control when you're thinking about a fungicide. Yes, lodging control is important. Yes, we know there's a yield impact if it starts to lean, but there's a far bigger yield impact if you get it wrong with something like light leaf spot. So make sure you're using the right product to do the right job for you. And light leaf spot left unattended will cause you massive problems. So I would urge you to go out and have a look, use the spot check initiative, or at the very least, put these leaves in a polythene bag in the airing cupboard and see if it is light leaf spot, because it is most definitely moving. Um, winter cereals, the septoria is everywhere. You can find that without looking too hard. The growth stage out there, I have some winter wheat, some um, Kerin winter wheat that was drilled on the 12th of September into non-black grassland, and that's currently at growth stage 30 on the main stem it is motoring the field next door Kerin was drilled on the 5th of October and that's at growth stage 26 it looks a lot smaller but they've both got seven tillers on them they're moving the yellow rust is in control at the moment but now is really the time for the t0 fungicides it's to protect the new growth it should be chlorthalonil based whether you choose to go with a triazole or a strabilirin in with that chlorthalonil chlorthalonil should form the core of that because it's a protectant you're trying to protect the growth until you get to growth stage 31 and in no circumstances should you use a t0 fungicide to delay the main t1 fungicide timing if you put it on and it's only a week later that t1 happens the growth stage happens leaf three starts to emerge you need to go in so don't just delay and timing is all important and critical and if you've still got atlantis uh, monolith pacifica to put on now is the time to do that catch a dry leaf we are starting to see some spring germination of black grass so just make sure you're doing the job right. Make sure you're hitting the right patches. I'm saying that out there in the field, your autumn residuals have worked very, very well. But don't be complacent because we need to stay ahead of black grass. And uh, 
I think walking fields at the moment, the potential is still there. There is so much to do though in the field. We've got all these fields need drying out for the spring wheat, spring barley, the linseed, the peas, the beans, the potatoes, sugar beet, all of those things are going to happen in the next four weeks. It's going to be incredibly busy out there. I still think it's too early to panic, but I don't think it's too early to start making the plans for when we do panic. <laughs> Thank you, Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. Good morning. I'm Sean Whispering Dunderdale this week, but uh, thankfully, in full voice from Open Field, it's Chris Spratt with all the news you need this week. Good morning, Sean. What is that news? Well, I think uh, several bits of news this week, really. I think the much-anticipated rain that is starting to eventually arrive in some parts of the US, but with variable forecasts for the week ahead, whether it's too little too late for the winter crops, that remains to be seen, but working on the basis at this stage, I think that any rain is good rain. Uh, I think anything would help ease the challenging spring drilling and establishment conditions they've got across there. And of course, this week, you know, in the, in the main news as well, there's been the US-China trade war talks, or whatever you want to call them, and... Um, It'll, it'll be, uh, I don't know if interesting is the word to see how that uh, materialises over the next few weeks. In the UK, while well, the old crop wheat balance sheet and the physical market still seem at odds, with ex-farm values still strong in this part of the country, certainly, and we have to ask ourselves, I suppose, are the analyst figures correct? Is there? Is it there, rather? And, and if it is, when will it come to the market? Uh, so feed wheat still tight. It could be a very interesting end to the season one way or the other. I think um, just to try and put a bit of meat on the bone really I think one point to consider 40% of the UK crop from the 2017 harvest started out as potential milling wheat Uh, and and effectively in the UK that's really created a milling wheat surplus but of varying grades so the UK has effectively found itself what we would say is long of milling wheat short of feed wheat Uh, and I think it's almost a case of the seller deciding if the premium available doesn't justify the risk-reward of, of delivering it as milling wheat. And I think values for feed grains have almost now caught up with those for milling wheat in many areas, certainly in this part of the world. And some people would call this the, the skyfall effect. We've, uh, And I don't mean by that... Uh, anything to do with James Bond's Skyfall's a wheat variety uh, and along with Crusoe these varieties have come to the market over the last few years and they've been very high yielding almost on par with some of the better feed varieties as far as yield is concerned hence its popularity and its availability to the market but as we've mentioned before it's no use selling your bread making wheat on, on a specification if the net effect to you is that it would have been better selling it into a strong feed wheat market in the first instance. And that's certainly, I think, where we find ourselves at the moment. I, I personally bought three or four parcels this week as feed uh, that were milling varieties for that very reason. But with feed wheat at £150 a tonne in a lot of areas, there aren't too many people who are disappointed. Feed barley, well, that continues to firm on the old crop and gets closer to the feed wheat price in reality. Old crop malting barley is now mainly about execution of existing contracts and new crop largely ignored, and I suspect now until we see how this spring planting progresses. Uh, strangely enough, there is a tender taking place at the moment with Saudi Arabia wanting to buy another potentially a million tonnes before the end of the season of feed barley. Uh, not necessarily that that will be executed for the UK, from the UK rather, but it, it does just show you the demand out there. Sterling's firmed over the week, and that can often be negative for UK values, especially for the higher-value commodities, such as all-seed rape. And as time ticks by, we're seeing more selling pressure on all-seed rape, and that uh, has now been a, an announcement of um, a German biodiesel uh, plant uh, uh, being mothballed a little bit earlier than it would be normally. And although consumers in the UK have covered to take, they continue to appear to hold the upper hand, I think, in the short term. 
sellers looking for a fall in sterling to come to the aid of, of, of them on this market, I think. A reasonable rally could see a lot of Aussie rate change hands over a few days. Um, one thing in the background, just looking at the soya market, is it's still very dry in Argentina uh, for their soya crops there. Their crop estimate is being reviewed down again, um, and I think one to watch. But whether it's a little bit too late for this season, we'll have to see as far as its influence on rapeseed is concerned. Uh, some spring work started, but there's still a tremendous amount to do, and uh, quite frankly, some long working hours ahead, I think, really. So expect to see plenty of uh, land work taking place over the next month or so, if conditions allow. Uh, just looking at feed wheat prices, well, such a big range, dependent on the area a month. In the spot position, we've up seen a three to four pounds swing on some days with few futures no longer really a guide as to market values march april feed wheat in the region of 147 to 152 x farm higher levels in north of the humber really with harvest at 135 to 138 and november 18 139 to 142 milling wheat premiums on old crop well find me a buyer really at this moment in time uh, uh, worth the risk of, of of selling against the feed market i think Feed barley, well, that's increased again over the week with April 142 to 146, with harvest 120 to 123, but worth holding until November onwards at 10 to £12 more if, if you can do so. All seed rape, um, finished the week uh, in the mid, uh, two, uh, mid 280s for April with harvest at 275 to 277 and £10 more again for those who can hold until November. Old crop beans, Still in the region of £160 for feed for May, June. Um, and, and the human consumptions, again, struggle to get a firm bid uh, on anything but the top spec uh, human consumption uh, springs, really, Sean. Thank you, Chris. Or maybe with talk of Skyfall, I should say uh, the name's Spratt. Chris Spratt. <laughs> yeah. Licensed to trade. Hasn't quite got the same ring, I'm afraid. But anyway. <laughs> Not quite, maybe. Chris Spratt from Open Field. Next Sunday is April the 1st, so a year to go now until EU withdrawal, give or take a couple of years' transitional period. This week we've seen rotting haddock thrown into the Thames by, among others, Nigel Farage, angry at the government's agreement that the UK will only be consulted on fishing quotas during that transition, meaning they stay in the common fisheries policy for at least another 20 months after next March, but will have very little say over what happens during that period. Sam Hayward has spoken with one of the so-called chief Brexiteers, the Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, out campaigning ahead of the start of the local election campaigns next week. She touches on that fishing issue in a moment. First, another thorny issue for many in agriculture migrant workers. We are hugely reliant on um, migrant workers in farming in particular. How will we ensure that we'll still get the, the, the staff, the workers that we need sort of post-Brexit? Is that something that... The... Well, we will. I mean, look, look, Brexit is not about shutting the, shutting the draw. Brexit, Brexit is not about sending, telling people to, to go away. Brexit is about being open to the world. It's actually opening Britain up to being a global country again and trading with the rest of the world more freely. And actually, you know, yes, of course, it's important to control uh, migration, immigration in a way that is democratically accountable. That was a problem with the e the e that is the problem with the EU arrangements, uh, is that there's no doubt, you know, it's 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 not decided by us. And what, uh, when I was in, uh, I serve in the in the around the European uh, Foreign Ministers Council, and there was a, a moment not long ago when the uh, my Hungarian colleague uh, protested that by qualified majority vote it had been decided how many immigrants Hungary had to take. And uh, this was being imposed by the, by the Commission. And, you know, this is, this is something that is absolutely incredible to me, that 
democratic processes could be circumvented in in that way. So I want the UK, I want UK politicians to be responsible for it, for us to uh, to stand up and say, yes, actually, we do need uh, some level of immigration. It's good. So it's good for the economy to have talented people who want to come and work here. What we don't want to do is have so many that it depresses people's wages or it causes strains on public services or it causes it makes it impossible for people to get housing you know there are, there are so there are there is a balance in this and i think i think over the last few few years some of the numbers have been very high indeed some of the net migration numbers britain has been well in advance of any other eu country you know we've been looking at sort of 330,000 350,000 a lot of people coming in net uh, I'm not saying we're going to get it down, you know, very, very fast, or that that's the, the ambition. But it's about control. It's about trying to have the, the level that is right for your economy. And yes, of course, we, we as conservatives, we totally understand that in Lincolnshire, there's, there are sectors in the agriculture sector and so on, where they are going to need to have access to energetic, talented people who want to come and, 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 and do stuff. That's fine. That's great. Provided it's controlled and it's done in a responsible way. Obviously, Boston's within Lincolnshire as well, and that's um, that's a town which is, you know, very multicultural, has a lot of uh, migrants who are, who are living within the Boston area. Um, what what can you say to the those migrants living in Boston? Who we live- love them. I can say we love them. We're going to look after them. Their rights are going to be protected. Uh, we don't want to see. I don't want to see. I want to hear. I don't want to hear a whiff of of anybody being, you know. Uh, sarcastic or or uh disparaging about people my my great-grandfather was a turk and uh, uh, you know for heaven's sake and he came to this country because it gave him freedom and uh briefly before he was assassinated uh you know so it, it, it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a it's an amazing place britain is an ama- it's the most amazing country on earth no question and we're, we're happy to have people of talent here they should be welcomed uh, they should be embraced. They should not be made to feel bad. But it's got to be done in a controlled way, and it's got to be done in a way that is democratically accountable to the people of this country. Can you can you make that happen? Can you make yes, that control? Yes, it's called Brexit. It's called Brexit. And I think a lot of people still don't one hundred percent believe that it's going to be the deal for everybody. Well. It will be. We will take back control of our borders. We'll take back control of that money that I talked about on that famous red bus, which I've been so extensively pilloried ever since. But it was—it's true. The, the the figure the figure that we don't control is about 350 million pounds a week. Actually, it rises uh, in 2020. 2022 to about 438 million pounds. I mean, we're going to need a bigger bus, frankly, and it it does. So, and so, a substantial sum of that, obviously, is is already paid into various pro, you know social funds, regional funds, agriculture, and stuff that the EU spends in the UK. But a lot of it just disappears to 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 the rest of the EU in ways that we don't control at all. Uh, we don't know about, and that will be available for for spending in this country. Is a point I I made till I was. I was blue in the face. We'll take back control of that, and we'll take back control of our laws, and we'll be able to do things differently again. And uh, that will be interesting. We actually, a lot of the time, we'll want, as Theresa May rightly said, we'll want to do things exactly the same. We we'll want to stay with our friends and partners across the channel. We we'll want to make sure that you know when when they make a widget or a sprocket, uh, you know, we're going to want to make sure that our widgets and sprockets are roughly the same because we're, we're all part of the same supply chains. And that's natural. Uh, but it may be that when it comes to high tech, to bulk data, to bioscience, to uh, some advanced forms of manufacturing or whatever, we're going to start thinking, hmm, we could do things a little bit differently here. 
Can I talk to you about the fishing industry? Yes. Because that's obviously another industry where we've got a you know a huge wealth of um, local people employed within the industry and in the uh, North East Lincolnshire area in particular. Um, and obviously very recently we've had um, the, the, the news that we're going to have, that the trade is going to have to wait an yeah. extra year. It is. It is. And obviously, you know, as Michael Gove rightly said, it's disappointing, but it is not the end of the world. We're going we're gonna to get there. We're gonna, by the end of the implementation period, the end of 2020, uh, it, all, it all comes into to force. It, you know, it's going to be brill, as they say. Well, I have a bream. And if it isn't, you know, well, anyway, well, it, it, it will be fine. It will be fine. Boris Johnson speaking there with Sam Haywood. So, a year to go to Brexit. Are we ready? Are we any clearer as to what to expect? It's uh, something we'll look at on next week's programme. And as ever, we welcome your views. What plans you're making now? Are you ready for this time next year? Get in touch. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Looking at the weather then, a few showers possible today. 11, the high, the wind from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour. Cloudy at first overnight, but come midnight, clear skies. That'll push temperatures down to around 1 Celsius first thing tomorrow morning. The wind from the west, 5 to 10 miles an hour. And then some patchy cloud again tomorrow. Some heavy rain come the evening. We're looking at 10 or 11 Celsius again as your high, the wind from the southwest at about 10 miles an hour. As I say, a band of heavy rain Monday into Tuesday. Keeping temperatures up, though, 6 Celsius away from the rain. We're looking at the wind blowing more from the south, 15, maybe gusting at 30 miles an hour for a time first thing on Tuesday. And then after a misty start, we're seeing some more rain through Tuesday itself. Temperatures around 13, the wind from the southwest gusting at 25, maybe 35 miles an hour through the day. Overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday, staying windy. Should be dry, though. That uh, wind from the, the west, 40 miles an hour. Temperatures around 3 Celsius. And then some sunshine for the middle of the week. Some cloud as well, though. 8 the high. The wind continuing from the west, 30, gusting at 40 miles an hour. Then the latter end of the week looks like a uh, wet end, certainly some uh, further heavy rain to come. We might see temperatures dipping near a freezing point once again overnight. Daytime highs anywhere really between 7 and 10 Celsius. We'll keep a check as we get towards the Easter weekend. That's the forecast. It is the Easter weekend next weekend as well. We'll still be here uh, celebrating Easter. Um, yes, you know, farming never stops even if my voice nearly does. Also on the programme next week, as well as Brexit, Andrew Ward will be chatting with some award-winning students from Rise Home, celebrating their success as well. That's next week. Until then, have a good week's farming.